From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. Well, yes, Mr. Robert, thank you very much. It's me, Mike. Mike Davidson lives. Thanks for downloading this latest go-around, hanging out with me for about half an hour as I talk about, well, eh, whatever comes to mind. Uh, Before I get too far along into it, shout out, best wishes, prayers, thoughts, all that stuff to the great Dick Vitale. Uh, the, uh, the ESPYs, I guess, happened Wednesday night. And as you know, I don't watch award shows because, you know, they're award shows. And by the way, they announced the Emmy nominations today. Don't care. Uh, but getting back to the ESPYs, it was announced that Dick Vitale, 84 years old, a man who's already had two bouts of cancer, uh, actually is dealing with a third form this time around, vocal cord cancer. And he's hoping to do as much as he can to get get courtside this upcoming season 84 years old still wanting to do it he says he's going to fight like hell and man i hope he does fight like hell man it would be awesome baby indeed to see him do his thing once again for espn what are the few things going right for espn is a guy like dick vitale uh one thing not going right here in the fair state of indiana <laughs> the fair um my wife was upset this evening because, well, she I came home, okay, and we were originally going to have the kids spend a week with my parents uh, around Memorial Day weekend. That kind of fell through because, well, well, we if we weren't sick, they were sick. I think everybody's now healthy, so my wife's like, I, I really want them to, you know, spend time with your parents. I'm like, okay, cool. She goes, but first, we got to take them to the county fair, the Allen County 4-H fair, and she was looking up what days they're going to be. Because usually here in Indiana, like county fairs, they, they do their thing throughout the month of July. And then they have the, the state fair down in Indy for a couple of weeks in August. They moved the fair to June. So we missed it. And we missed it because, A, we don't watch the news. We don't, the TV is, anytime the TV's on, it's basically uh, streaming SpongeBob SquarePants for my son. He can't get enough of it. Or it's off and me and the wife are reading books and stuff. And she just got done reading a book. I'm still uh, working my way through Lord of the Rings. And I get my news from online stuff anyway. So we missed out on it. But but it's, the thing was they didn't want to uh, interfere with the state fair. Which is in another month. Which makes no sense whatsoever. And... Uh, Currently, right now, in our former hometown of Kokomo, uh, in the county that Kokomo's in, uh, the Howard County 4-H Fair is going strong. It's going on right now. Somehow, that's not interfering with the state fair. That happens next month. It makes no effing sense whatsoever. So, my wife is bummed, and she was so bummed, she didn't even start. She she was going to start a puzzle, too, tonight. She was going to start a puzzle. She was so bummed, she was just like, she gave me the box and she goes, put this away. I can't even look at it right now. <laughs> oh, God. We'll laugh about this someday, but uh, probably not this week. But uh, the kids are still going to spend time with uh, my, my folks here. We just have to figure out when. Okay, so uh, movie talk here. Sound of Freedom did fairly well at the box office this past weekend. Uh, it, third place. And uh, given that it was a low-budget movie to begin with, it's making back that money and then some. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the little film that could. And it's gotten, and I said before, surprisingly, uh, 
this movie's gotten some fairly strong reviews, some good reviews from some people. Uh, but, it, and I'm not against a movie getting negative reviews because usually, I mean, you, you look at a movie and, and you love something about it or you don't like it. You know, art is subjective. That, that is it. So if, if you went to this movie and you said, eh, I don't like it, I didn't like it because of this, 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 that's one thing. But uh, the pushback on this movie with uh, all the conspiracy talk I thought was kind of funny considering that for years Hollywood has embraced the likes of uh, Oliver Stone and Michael Moore. So to me, oh, and Scientology is all over the place in that town. So for me, you know, Jim Caviezel might be a QAnon guy. Eh, I really don't care. I mean, it's crazy to me, sure, but there's a lot of things crazy out in Hollywood. But one thing that struck me about the Rolling Stone review, and then I and I noticed it with another review. It's not just the reviewers reviewing the movie; they're reviewing the audience that goes into this movie. They're reviewing. They're all boomers. They're all old people. Uh, they're all white, uh, you know, they probably voted for Trump, oh, they believe this stuff, blah, blah. They're reviewing the audience, not the actual film itself. Uh, they're, they're including the description of the audience because they don't want anybody to get the idea of, oh, I'm going to see this movie, oh, I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy now because now they'll lump you in with uh, who goes see this. And thank God they didn't do this with, uh, you know, the MCU or any of the Christopher Nolan movies. Oh, yeah, I, I went to go see, you know, the new Batman movie, and uh, I was surrounded by a bunch of sweaty, smelly nerds, which actually happened to us when we went and saw Endgame a few years back. It was packed, and uh, nobody nobody bothered to wear deodorant. I did. Um, but, yeah, that, that's it. They're just, it's, it's like bullying in a way it's like it's not just enough to say yeah okay this movie's not good it's this movie's not good and neither are the people there you don't want to be these people like these these nerds that are reviewing these movies are almost as bad as the bullies that shoved them into lockers growing up and the thing too is is like uh, the whole child trafficking sex thing that's not a QAnon theory that stuff does go on uh, maybe not to the extent of, say, okay, they're in Wayfair boxes or uh, in the basement of Pizza Planet or whatever the hell outside of Washington, D.C. That's far-fetched, but it does go on. And there's been two incidents this week that have reminded me that, uh, yeah, kids, young people, um, and just in danger, in danger all the time. Uh, I just saw, like, uh, the BBC's got this little row going right now. With one of its uh, news presenters, I think his name is Hugh Edwards, uh, he may have been uh, soliciting dick pics from a dude that was 17 years old. Yeah, um, and that that's an investigation going on across the pond. Then you got uh, Larry Nasser, um, the, uh, the Michigan State doctor that uh, sexually abused a lot of young gymnasts. Uh, he, stabbed, he was stabbed in prison this past week, and unfortunately he lived. Uh, after making lewd comments about women tennis players at Wimbledon. Like, one of the, the prisoners... First of all, I didn't realize watching tennis uh, in prison was a big thing, but uh, you, you learn something new every day. Uh, but he's this is a guy who was convicted of being a child molester and being a sexual deviant. And uh, here he is, he's making these comments in prison like he didn't learn a damn thing. And then you get the whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein, and we're never going to learn the ins and outs 
of that totally, uh, I'm afraid. But, I mean, that this shit goes on. The shit goes on, and there are reviewers that are trying to s- dismiss it all as conspiracy theory and, and demonize people that go and watch this movie. It's crazy to me. All right, and it just, uh, it's, if you're going to review a movie, review the movie. Pay no mind to who you're watching it around. Uh, by the way, speaking of sexual deviance, Ezra Miller's Flash no longer in the top ten at the box office. Uh, they're already trying to skirt this thing onto digital, so you can go and buy it or avoid it, like I probably will. All right, so moving on from Sound of Freedom to uh, Barbenheimer, uh, Barbie versus Oppenheimer at uh, the cinema is coming up uh, next weekend. Next weekend. And I think Barbie's probably going to win that one in the box office because it's uh, it's not a rated R movie. It's not three hours long, and it's not about an atomic bomb. Uh, but uh, my wife is asking if I wanted to go see Oppenheimer. That's yeah, it's still a go. Um, AMC reports that uh, it has sold twenty thousand combo tickets uh, nationwide to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer. I guess people are making this a double a double feature type of thing. Kind of a weird one. Um, yeah, just just to get into the kitchen. But yeah, I saw the the movie based on the plastic uh, girls play thing, and of course the nuclear bomb. Uh, it reminded me, uh, like uh, my announcer there, Rob Roof, when I when I was working with him uh, down in Coke, and we talked about like when he was a student at Ball State back in the long ago, back in the seventies, and there were some pretty decent movies back in the seventies. He talked about how like one movie theater locally was playing a double feature. Of deliverance and apocalypse now, yeah. Take a girl to go see that. See, uh, see how far you go. <laughs> but uh, you know, you got Oppenheimer and Barbie opening up the same weekend. Um, and Christopher Nolan, like this was a very odd article I saw. I think this was posted in the New York Post. I do have it? Uh, uh, well, it was in New York Post, and I think it was uh, also kind of uh, copy and pasted on one of the uh, other Murdoch owned. Uh, periodicals in England but on the Mike Davidson Facebook page there have been people bitching about the the lack of sexual content in Christopher Nolan movies or just sex seems awkward uh, because there's just not a lot of it and uh, now that there's a hard R for um, Oppenheimer there's going to be a nude scene uh, with Cillian Murphy I think and um, I think Emily Blunt or was it Florence Pugh I don't know yeah, it's one of the ladies. He gets naked with her, and and it's it's a scene. Okay, so yeah, this is a rated R movie. But they were talking about how awkward things were in these Christopher Nolan movies, just because there's not enough pound town action. I don't think you ever. I, I now in in movies like by Scorsese or uh, Tarantino, yeah, things get a little bit graphic or, or implied graphic, right? Um, Coen Brothers. Uh, are famous for having movies with no sex scenes. I mean, the Big Lebowski. He, he, I think you see like a, a glimpse of a boob uh, when log jamming's played, but that's about it. Uh, it cuts away before anything happens, and any any coitus that happens in the film happens off camera. And I think they did that intentionally. No one ever really bitches about uh, the lack of sex in a Coen Brothers movie. Maybe just because it's too damn violent and you, you forget about it. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's a thing. People griping that uh, the Dark Knight trilogy wasn't hardcore pornography. Sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Um, By the way, when you watch your girls, if you're a parent, you see them playing with their Barbie dolls. I mean, what is it that you take in 
from them. Uh, the fact that they're using their imagination, that they get creative, that they create these scenarios, or the fact that they inject politics into playing with their dolls. I mean, you know, that's what that's what every five or six year old girl does when they they got a couple of Barbie dolls out. Um, and I bring this up because uh, uh, Simu Liu, uh, Shang Chi, he's in this movie. He plays one of the Kens. Uh, he plays, I guess, Kung Fu Ken. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, well, he was Shang Chi, so I mean, you, you use that to your advantage. Um, but uh, he was talking about how this movie is going to quote uh, challenge a lot of heteronormative views on Barbie. Yeah, yeah, he's talking about gender roles, and I think uh, Kate McMillan, uh, the 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 girl that was on Saturday Night Live, that everyone swears is funny, but uh, hasn't really found her Adam Sandler esque m movie yet. Uh, she said something about that too. She's in this movie, and I'm I'm thinking, why are you got? This spells disaster for this movie eventually. It's going to win the box office, like I said, next weekend. Because I don't think everybody has latched on to some of the stuff that's going on in this thing. They're going to say, oh, yeah, I grew up with Barbie. And my, my girls love Barbie. We'll take, we'll take them to go see Barbie. And then they'll go and then they'll see that it's uh, there's kind of a cynical uh, take on a plastic child's play thing. Uh, a, a child's plastic play thing. And uh, I think the second weekend there will be a sharp drop off at the box office for Barbie because uh, these actors and actresses promoting it just can't help themselves. They're putting this stuff out there, and uh, some people will not see or hear this stuff. People like me will, and they're just like, "Okay, well, I wasn't planning on seeing it anyway, whatever." But uh, go there's going to be kind of a sucker punch, a gut punch, with some people taking uh, their kids to go see this movie, and the word of mouth will get around and. Like I said, the, the second weekend of a movie will tell you how solid it really is. Okay. Somebody that's not as solid as he once was, and I say this respectively because Father Time is undefeated, and we should all we should all be so lucky to live as long as Ozzy Osbourne, especially considering all the chemical indulgence this guy has done in his life. Uh, he had to cancel a recent um, uh, uh, rock festival appearance because his body isn't up to it. But I, he's dealing with so much, so much. Uh, Judas Priest, I think, is filling in for him. That's not that's not a bad filling band right there. We, we'll we'll bloody do it. But Ozzy Ozzy's just like ravaged by everything, and I don't understand why he feels the need to get on stage. Uh, compare this, I think it was a Sunday night in Sweden, Stockholm, I think. Uh, Elton John put on his last ever concert, his fair, final farewell performance. Uh, and he, at the end, he just uh, he thanked everybody in the audience. He thanked all of his fans for the five-plus decades of uh, supporting his music. And, you know, you should be so lucky. R rock musicians should be, should be so lucky to go out on their own terms like that. But I don't think Ozzy's going to be able to do that. No shame in retiring. Now, I will say this to Elton, though. I mean, if this was your last performance, kudos to you. But don't don't pull, like, a, a kiss or an eagles thing where it's like, oh, no, this time this is for real. This time, we're done. Oh, we can make more money? Okay. Uh, this is uh, both a very true statement and a very self-unaware statement. Uh, was it Josh Todd of Buck Jerry? You'd have to be careful to say Josh Todd because for some odd 
I think it's because Jason Todd was one of Batman's Robins. So I say Josh Todd, and I just want to say Jason Todd. And I know that makes no sense to you, only to me, but whatever. Josh Todd, uh, in a recent interview, I think this was on the podcast, was talking about uh, the problem with rock music. From his perspective, the front man of Buck Cherry, he goes, you know, back in the day, you know, you used to have very distinguished lead singers. Like when he was coming up in the 90s, I mean, you had Kurt Cobain, Lane Staley, uh, some of the guys he's listening, Eddie Vedder, Chris Cornell, um, Zach Della Roca. I mean, yeah, they're, they're very distinctive voices from the 90s. He says, today, I can't tell the difference between anything. It just seems like the same drum beat, the same guitar riff, the same voices, nothing distinctive. It's all safe for radio. And it's weird coming from the guy who brought you lit up and crazy bitch. Um, very safe rock formatted radio. But it's very true, man. Um, and if if you listen to a lot of stuff that came out post-99, like you going into the 2000s, guitar solos became rarer and rarer. And vocal styles, like it's hard to tell one singer apart from another. I, and, I, and I'll give you another example. I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, like, to me, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page are probably my two favorite guitar players of all time. Eddie Vedder's in my top ten. Or not Eddie Vedder, Jesus. Eddie Van Halen's in my top ten. Top five, possibly. I mean, he's just a virtuoso, one of the greatest ever. But, like, anytime you heard a Van Halen song, I mean, the riff might be different. The... The, you know, the chords might be different, but somehow you just knew it was Eddie's guitar. Like, it had its own distinct voice. You know, this is an instrument that he designed. You could tell right away if it was Eddie playing. You, you can't get that with any of the other bands today. And I think, and I'll reference you back a few podcasts ago when I referred to uh, the classic Frank Zappa uh, interview where he was talking about how music executives, and this was 30 years ago, making music uh, more bland and bland, and it's uh, it's really, really, really shitty now. Uh, Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute from uh, The Office, very successful comedic actor, would you not say? Uh, well, he didn't think so at the time. Uh, in a recent interview here, he was talking about how miserable he felt on the show, and it, it, he said looking back, it makes no sense, really, because, you know, I was surrounded by great actors, great actresses, great writers and directors. And, you know, it's The Office was a cultural phenomenon for sure. And people knew his character. I mean, he, you you don't even have to know The Office to know uh, Dwight Schrute or Rainer Wilson. You would, If you've looked at memes on the Internet, you know who this man is. You know who this character is. But he said he wasn't happy because uh, at the time... You know, he, he said, I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I wanted to make millions. I was on this TV show. I wanted to be, you know, the next uh, big thing in terms of comedy movies. He was looking ahead. He was always looking ahead and not appreciating the present. And he's talking about this now because he's got this new book about spirituality. And he's talking about how, like, there was an emptiness to all of this. Now, I will say this in kind of sort of defense of the ambition that uh, uh, Mr. Wilson had here in, you know, when he was filming The Office. There's nothing wrong with wanting to, you know, go on to the next big thing. But if it doesn't happen, it shouldn't consume you. 
And, you know, he's he's right. He should have, uh, you know, kind of stopped and smelled the roses a little bit because not every actor is going to get that. In fact, going back, and I, I, another story Rob Roop told me about, uh, he knew a comedian that knew um, Bob Saget back in the day. And uh, as you know, Bob Saget, after uh, his TV career, after the first big sitcom he was in, uh, very profane comedian and made it a point to pr- prove that he was a profane comedian because he was always a profane comedian. He Like, he was not Mr. Family Friendly, but then he had um, Full House and then he had America's Funniest Videos and everybody just perceived him to be this big, lovable family goofball and he was kind of typecast by those expectations and he would gripe about this to this uh, comedian friend of my friend. And I guess the comedian told... Uh, uh, told Bob, hey, man, you, dude, you've got to hit sitcom. You've got this uh, this uh, video show where people get hit in the balls. You get paychecks. You get paid to, to you know, do this stuff. You're making good money. You shouldn't be worried about the typecasting thing. I mean, it, it could always be worse. And I actually had somebody tell me the other day, it always could be worse. And when you stop and think about it, yeah, it could always be worse. And I think Wilson, looking back, goes, yeah, it was it was a lot better time than I would care to admit. And who knows? Maybe maybe something else will come around his way. But, uh, yeah, if if you're if you got a job, if you got a house, if you got a family, if you got something going on in your life, it's a lot better than what some people have going on in their lives, and that's nothing. Nothing. Okay. Um, by the way, I, it's... T- I want to read you a little bit of something here. I don't want to get too much into this. I'm if, if this isn't already, it's going to be on the Mike Davidson Facebook page uh, later on this week. It's just it's just a matter of me remembering to put it on the Mike Davidson Facebook page sometime this week. Uh, but this is a New York Post um, article about the tragic implosion of the uh, the uh, Ocean Gate sub. Five people aboard. Um, and, and, by the way, catastrophic implosion was what they used to describe what happened to this vehicle. And it's it happened in a millisecond. Just terrible to think about. Um, an animation depicting how the doomed Titan sub imploded has been viewed more than 5 million times in the 11 days since the video was posted on YouTube. The 6-minute, 22nd clip was uploaded to the video sharing site June 30th by AI Telly a YouTube channel that posts original 4K and 3D engineering animations according to the account's About page. So somebody rendered this uh, to demonstrate how bad this was, and people are wanting to watch it. Uh, I don't think I ever needed this video to ever keep me away from the Titanic. I think the fact that it's uh, about two, two and a half miles below the surface of the ocean, that's enough for me. I mean, even if it was just like, 200 feet below the ocean. I wouldn't go to look at the damn thing. It's falling apart, and uh, I got a I got a fear of animals that can eat me. But yeah, I just I don't know. Um, I kind of leave that stuff alone because I don't like making fun out of the dead. Uh, and as I mentioned before, there was a father and son on that uh, on that vessel. And, you know, this was something cool that the dad probably thought, hey, you know, father-son bonding time, you know, and I've, I've got a son, I've got two daughters, and that crap really just, it really breaks your heart. You know, when I was a smart-ass kid in my tw- mid-20s, maybe I, I would find this somewhat humorous, but it, the older you get, the, the perspective changes a little bit, 
And you're kind of like, no, no, I don't need to see any of this crap. Uh, lucky for one dude in Kentucky, by the way, a farmer out there found about $2 million worth of gold coins on his property. I guess that's the story anyway. And this goes back to the uh, 19th century, mid-1800s. Um, they're saying like uh, these coins uh, were minted anywhere from 1850 to 1863 and were buried uh, possibly because of the fear of either Union or Confederate armies raiding the property. Because this was during the Civil War when the, this was allegedly buried. But here's my thing, okay. If if somebody buried these coins to hide them from the armies and then, okay, the war ends like two years later, wouldn't you want to unearth these coins and put them to use? Something had to happen to this person. Either this person died or they, they, they probably did when they were drunk. Uh, oh, I don't know where my uh, my precious fortune is. I, or, or something. They got arrested. I mean, how do you just forget about gold like that? I mean, you know, pirates do it all the time. Uh, if you watch the movies and cartoons, they're always burying them on random islands and, uh, you know, getting drunk and lost at sea. But that's a lot of money just to leave it around. And, of course, this farmer finds it about uh, 170-odd years later lucky farmer until you know the irs comes by all right so in the best year ever for san francisco with all the businesses closing another one is closing up it's called anchor brewery it is uh believed to be america's first craft brewery after 127 years it is now kaput they're saying goodbye unless they find a, a buyer for their product someone else to distribute it for them uh but they're just saying after a few years uh, the economic conditions have not been kind. In fact, I think in the past year, uh, craft beer sales only climbed 0.1%. That, then that's collectively, collectively. Uh, but it's funny because uh, you know I keep hearing about the economy being also good. Uh, but this is out in San Francisco. This is after the pandemic, and things have not returned to normal. People aren't buying what they used to. People are avoiding the city, and it kind of sucks that something this historic in a city that was once beautiful and uh, revered. Is having to close up shop on this on this brewery, but that's another place for people to kind of linger now and you know shoot up and whatever. But this is not a good look for this city to to lose a brewery. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little upset about this because uh, this looks to be decent beer for a change. It's uh, <laughs> that's in danger, but that just sucks for them. Another business closing up down in Florida, the Japanese Steakhouse. This uh, this made news. Uh, about a month or so ago, they found meth in the soy sauce down there. Uh, somebody must have put it in there. Some people got sick, and they just were not able to get people back in the door. So they're 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 pretty much screwed. And I kind of joke about how um, I was like the trade secret of the soy sauce. That was the secret ingredient of the soy sauce on the Mike Davidson Facebook page. But that that's just something you don't recover from, man. Uh, you know, you get a rep. Remember Rosalind's Bakery down Indy? I mean, that was a big bakery back in the day. I mean, to get donuts, you know, cinnamon rolls from Rosalind's, oh, man, that was great. But then uh, late 90s, the, their warehouse had a big roach infestation problem or a rat. It was, it was either roaches or rats. But it's, you know, either critter you don't want crawling on your dessert. And uh, it really did damage to the brand. And they were never able to recover. 
So, uh, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to hear about that down in Florida. But these are crazy times that we live in. Uh, Speaking of crazy, I think I'll finish it out with this slice of fried gold in Thailand. There is now a Burger King sandwich. It's a burger. Well, I'm air quoting here. Burger, because there's no meat on it. It's not vegan, by the way. It's just, uh, you know, 20 slices of melted cheese, all yours for like $3.19. That seems kind of pricey for uh, American cheese sandwich. There, it's, that's that's a little more than like uh, ten cents a slice. But I guess the, from what I saw uh, in Thailand, a Burger King Whopper can fetch you up to about eleven bucks. It costs eleven bucks to buy a BK Whopper in Thailand. Man, that's expensive. But twenty slices of cheese. I I'm not going to lie, man. I am thinking about it really am. I'm not going to Thailand. I'm just going to, you know, buy a hamburger bun and cheese and, you know, see what damage I could do to myself this weekend. All right. With that all said and done, I'm done. Until next time, stay fresh. Cheese back. You've been listening to Mike Davidson live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at facebook.com backslash mdavidsonlives. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at davidsonlives.